everybody. Before we get started on episode 127 and part one of this new Clemson football podcast preview series with Connor O'Neill, who's doing work for Duke and Wake Forest, I think we're going to have him for both episodes. I just wanted to have a couple things to address before this episode starts. One, I'm sorry about the lack of content this summer. It's been a weird couple, I, I guess six weeks really, since things have really slowed down with baseball there was the regional, there was a lot of things going on, and then with the NBA Finals, I was traveling and on vacation during a good majority of the series, so I didn't get to cover it in the way I wanted to, so I just wanted to apologize on that. I didn't want to necessarily feel like I was overposting, especially when there's a lack of content out there that you guys usually hear from me, so I hope that that kind of addresses the air to anybody that's wondering, and in this episode, on my end, there was an issue with the audio, and it's a little echoey, and I hope it's not too distracting. I didn't want to reach back out to Connor just because his busy schedule covering with two sites, especially since he took the time to help me kick off this new series for you guys. And so his side of it, it's great. He brings great information to this episode. I hope you guys will enjoy it. I just wanted to leave that little note so you are not confused or anything or wondering why it sounds the way it is. It's been fixed. I've been spending a couple hours working on it especially before part two when I did mine with Kurt, who would have stuff with Florida State. That'll drop on Friday. Guys, thank you as always for just everything, and I really appreciate it. I'm really excited about kicking off this series. Enjoy the interview and learn about some Duke football. Thank you, guys. Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back, and welcome to part one of what I hope to be a long and successful 10-part series. You know, I was thinking about doing a Clemson football preview, but I think – why here listen to me for 10 parts when I can reach out and connect with top journalists in the country and in the ACC? So we're going to start today with Connor O'Neill, who's publisher of Duke Illustrated and also does some work for Wake Forest's rival site. And he was just in Omaha to see Wake Forest get to, I believe it was, I don't know how like the pool play works, if you would call it the semifinals, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was weird. Everybody started calling it a Final Four when uh, it was just TCU, Wake, Florida, and LSU left. And I was like, it's not really a Final Four because one of these teams can lose and they're still playing. Uh, actually, two of them could. And Wake, that was their plight and uh, eventually lose to LSU. But yeah, if, if so facto, um, you could just say they're one of the three last remaining teams <laughs> was was kind of what I arrived at. But um but yeah, heck of a run for them. Uh, came up a little short, but you know when you when you get to that point, when you get that far, uh, it's pretty hard to say the season was anything but a, a rousing success. Right, especially for my Clemson listeners in the audience, we experienced a little run of ourselves with Eric Backage in year one, so we're hoping to get to Omaha in the near future. So, Connor, can you just describe to the audience what your day to day? roles is within these two websites and just to give our audience a little bit of background um so i'm the publisher of both which means i'm in charge of everything that gets put on those sites and uh sometimes that's a lot sometimes it, it means uh being in omaha and getting ready for a game and all of a sudden uh emil jefferson is leaving to take a job with the celtics and so you've got to set aside what you're doing with one and jump on the other um, makes things really interesting when they're both playing basketball at the same time. Uh, you've got a lot of stat broadcast watching on press row. Um, I try not to, I try not to divide my time too much. Like if I'm in one place, I'm, I'm in that place and that's where I'm paying attention, but it, 
I've got a good handle on both. Uh, my background is more Wake Forest. Like I was with the Winston-Salem Journal covering Wake. I was on my own covering Wake for a little bit with a sub stack. And then I got hired by Rivals. When I got hired by Rivals, that was almost two years ago now, um, they put the Duke site on me as well. So uh, I've I've got two football seasons covering Duke. One was uh, a lot more interesting than the other for obvious reasons there. But uh, I, I feel like I've gotten to a point where I've got a pretty good handle on both um, both schools with their football, basketball, and, you know, baseball. When, when they're both going to be good, like Duke made the Super Regional and was one win away against Virginia from being in Omaha instead of the Cavaliers. So uh, when they're both good at baseball, I guess I, I really dive into those too. <laughs> Absolutely. So for you, you talked about obviously one season being better than the first, and it was Coach Elko's first year. So what, can you kind of describe what it was like for this Duke community that for me, when I think of Duke, I think of basketball, I think of Coach K, but this Duke team really took a leap forward this year. Can you describe what that first year was like, especially with a new coach taking the reins? Yeah, they needed some new energy. Um, actually, the, the kind of the dual sport uh coverage sometimes works works against me and sometimes works for me and it really the david cutcliffe tenure is really closely related to the jim grobe tenure at wake uh this really successful run some sustained success uh the difference was wake won the acc championship when wake got there uh duke did not they ran into the you know all-star florida state team that went undefeated in 2013 but their tenures were really similar at the end, too. And David Cutcliffe, the, the recruiting kind of dipped at the end. He was really loyal to assistant coaches who had been on his staff for a long time when he probably should have moved on to some more innovative and younger coaches that could keep the recruiting uh, rolling along. So it's a program that just needed new energy. And, and in comes Mike Elko. And... Uh, I'll be honest, like I I watched spring practices last year. I watched fall practices last year. I didn't know how much better they could be. I knew they were going to be kind of better. I I kind of still thought they were not going to be a ball team, like six and six and a trip to, you know, Shreveport. It used to be the ACC doesn't have that ball anymore, but you can still make jokes about it. Uh, I thought that would be a successful season. And Lo and behold, I mean, they're nine and four. And really, when you look at the games they lost to Carolina, to Georgia Tech, these close games at the end, they should have won those too. Like, they, it should have been a double-digit win season, which would just be unheard of uh, when you look at Duke's history in football. So it, it really – it was a lot quicker of a turnaround than anybody could have predicted. Um other than the people in the program, like to, to their credit, Mike Elko was right there saying he thought they were going to be, they had a chance to be pretty good. And um, the the other thing that kind of stands out about how they did it, they didn't have a transfer portal overhaul. Uh, they didn't, you know, start a bunch of freshmen. They didn't, uh, they didn't have to recalibrate the entire roster. They just kind of took the pieces they had when they came in Riley Leonard is a perfect example of this. Jalen Calhoun is a perfect example of this. Uh, and just kind of molded them into a system where it was a blend of what they did well and what Kevin Johns, the offensive coordinator, and uh, Rob Smith who was the defensive coordinator last year. He's been replaced by Tyler Santucci. 
it was it was just kind of molding those guys into what they do well plus the systems that they wanted to come in and implement and i mean riley leonard went from we we joked about him we joked about it throughout the year with him and even into the spring uh he loves he loves to be discounted he loves to see his name at the bottom of those acc quarterback lists uh he told us i think it was back in, early in fall camp that he loves seeing lists of like Riley Leonard, worst off at, worst starting quarterback in the ACC going into the season. Uh, and he was one of the best by the end of the year. I mean, I was uh, thinking back to all ACC voting. I was right there between him and uh, oh, I can't remember who I was torn between. I think it was him and Sam Hartman, honestly. And uh, I think I ended up giving it to Sam. But yeah, Riley Leonard uh, enters this season and definitely has one of the best three quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, and you might want to tell Riley that you uh you didn't pick him for all ACC. He might uh, enjoy that based on your description of him. He uh we had we had a great moment uh after the spring game. You know, spring games. It's hard for me to get too juiced up about spring games. <laughs> there are exhibitions played for your fans. The, the there's little to no value for for all intents and purposes, especially when you're coming off basketball season. Like then you're in baseball season. But uh, I, I noticed on Riley's wrist was something that said, like, you suck. So I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, it was just a consummate reminder of, yep, everybody thinks you suck. And huh. he told he told us that he had his mom tell him that he sucks before every game just to get him just to get the fires pumped a little bit more. Love just that. Whatever he can do to get himself fired up. And he said he said his mom is terrible at it. And he's like, <laughs> He like put his put his voice in her voice and he's like, yeah, honey, you know, uh, you suck. Um, now, good luck out there today. You might need a different family member for that uh, little pop up. But right? yeah, I, yeah, I think I saw something like that on like ACC's Instagram about like, yeah, and Riley Leonard's got you suck written on his wrists for the spring game. And everyone's like, OK, that works. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think... mean, that's that's him. I think clearly that mentality's certainly paid off. He's been the focal point of every conversation that I've seen about Duke football. And you you mentioned earlier, this guy is in-house. He wasn't some transfer that you got from some SEC school or something wild like that. He's been the focal point of this conversation, really took taking this Duke program to a new step and a new height. Where did he make this leap in his game and where can, can he continue to grow? He had 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, and nearly 3,000 yards. And I think he led the team in rushing and passing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, rushing, passing. I think he added another. Uh, I think he got to double-digit rushing touchdowns in there. My my numbers are fuzzy, but um, he was in a quarterback battle with Jordan Moore uh, through through last spring and early in the fall. And early in fall camp, it was pretty clear that there had been some separation. And they gave it another week of the battle, and it was about mid-fall camp when they moved Jordan Moore to to slot receiver and started giving him snaps at receiver because they said, all right, if if Riley Leonard is the winner of the quarterback battle, Jordan Moore is too good of an athlete to have stand on the sideline with a clipboard and only enter the game if Riley's helmet comes off or if there's an injury. We It was basically like, we have to find a way to use this guy and use his talent if it's not going to be at quarterback. Lo and behold, I think he went up having like 800 yards and he was uh, one of the best receivers on the team, which says a whole lot about the caliber of athlete that Jordan Moore is. Um, 
But Riley really, over the summer last year, it's that summer work that none of us get to see. It's all done behind the scenes. It's all done pretty much without the coaches seeing it either. It's basically just the strength staff and their own teammates. And uh, he really elevated himself in that time. Uh, he really went from a guy that, you know, I, I think there were some fair fair questions about how good he could be. Um, some, you know, all right, we've we've got this guy for the first year under a new coach, and then let's see what we can do in the transfer portal. Uh, there was some disappointment among some Duke fans about not bringing in a quarterback in the transfer portal in the in the spring. Uh, when it was just Riley and Jordan Moore. And, I mean, those those concerns quickly dissipated. Uh, I don't <laughs> think you could find anybody that wanted a different quarterback than Riley Leonard by about the fourth or fifth game last year. So, yeah, he really endeared himself uh, to teammates first with, with all that summer workouts and, and throwing to them on the side and stuff like that. And then he endeared himself to Wake fan, uh, Duke fans um don't make that slip off very often but sorry when i do um <laughs> no worries yeah he he really he really made something of himself um and and it's gonna lead to i think a promising career in football yeah for sure and i think for me when when i'm in all this noise of covering clemson football in this in this wild year we had last year and i keep hearing this name riley leonard at duke and i watched the bowl game against ucf and just man, he's he's an athlete. Really, I thought he made great decisions. I thought he was able to make a lot of plays. It was really the perfect package for what Duke was doing in that first year. That felt like they really took that next step. So, for you, with Clemson and at Florida State, those are the two names that I think dominate this realm of ACC football, especially when it comes to this sport. So, how can Duke continue to rise, and how can they continue to be a part of that potential conversation when? The beginning of the year, they're saying, okay, who's going to win the ACC? Who could be a dark horse for it? We've seen NC State's name get thrown around. We've seen Miami with all the hype with Crystal Ball get thrown around. Where can Duke start to scratch and etch themselves into that conversation? Man, you, you mentioned those two, but you lose out. You leave out the other usual suspect of, of ACC preseason and summer hype. Uh, I feel like I'm talking you're, – you're mentioning UNC, but I'm just tired of the – I was tired of the Mac Brown hype two years ago, so I just it's it's gone away from my memory. Yeah, it drives me crazy in this league. You cover it for long enough, and you start seeing the patterns and the repeats, and it's just like you come off last season and you say, "Man, Duke, it looks like one of the strongest rosters." They bring up they br they brought back a ton of returning talent. Uh, they had a number of guys like Dwayne Carter, Jamie on Franklin are their two big defensive tackles. Uh, Eli Pankol and Jalen Calhoun were two starting receivers. Uh, Graham Barton is a great left tackle who could have left early after three years. He's back. They just had a ton of guys uh, come back to this roster and you're, you're leaving the season saying, man, this is a really strong roster. They bring back so much talent. Uh, what, Elko and his staff was able to do in one year, if they're able to build on that, this is really going to be a team that goes into the year thinking top three or four in the ACC. And then we get to this point in the year and it's like, oh, that's forgotten. It's, <laughs> it's all, all right, we got to look at the recruiting rankings. We got to figure out who's been recruiting at a high level for the last four years. And that's going to be who the sleeper teams and the dark horses are going to be behind Clemson and Florida state. And that's why we always land on NC state, Miami and Carolina. Um, all the all the sleeping juggernauts 
so yeah, uh, to answer to answer your question, if, if Duke is going to be up there with Clemson and Florida State this year, if they're going to kind of establish the success instead of just having it and then taking a step backward, I think you need to win one of those two games against Clemson or Florida State. Uh, that's that's a lot easier for me to say on <laughs> June 26th in in my uh, office than than it is when uh, what is it? It's a nine four. Uh, yeah, that's September, right? September uh, yeah. 4th, Monday night kickoff against Clemson. Uh, at least you get them at home, but I can imagine there will be a good good bit of orange in the stands there at Wallace Wade that night. Uh, then you have to go to go to Florida State. Uh, that that game is October 21st, so it's kind of it's the first and seventh games of the year. They're kind of split up pretty equally, but um, yeah, I mean, winning one of those two games, if you beat Notre Dame, that's the game before the off week on September 30th. That can kind of you know, even though even though Notre Dame's only a 43% member of the ACC for football purposes, uh, that could elevate you a little bit. Um, it's really an interesting season, right? It's Look, I, I don't think you're throwing any shade to say Duke's schedule last year was pretty easy. Uh, I, I ran down the numbers. I think five ACC teams last year did not make a bowl game. Duke played all five of them and went four and one against them. Uh, of those five, only one of them is on Duke's schedule this year, and it's Virginia. Uh, they just – they go from – having a pretty easy go of things. I mean, part of part of why your schedule is easy if you're good is because you win games. Um, but the other part of it is, man, they, they don't have any of those teams that look like they're rebuilding. Like Virginia Tech looks like they're still rebuilding. Georgia Tech under Brent Key for, for the first full season. Um, Boston College, you never know what you're going to get with them. And they're not on the schedule. That was a win last year for Duke on a Friday night that made them bowl eligible. So there's there's kind of this sliding scale of Duke's uh, schedule strength goes from from one spot to the next. Uh, how good they are is going to be determined by, OK, well, how far along can you get your developmental scale and your talent pool and your depth? And can you meet the the sliding scale of where your schedule gets tougher? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and we can actually use this as a segue to get into the Clemson football matchup. But I think that in in the weird, you know how they in the NFL they they like to match up certain teams. They, they I I almost look at it as as a reward for the on the rise teams. They get to play Kansas City on Sunday night, for example. Like the Jets this year are going to that may be before, more because of Aaron Rodgers, but. They have more primetime games because of as a result of it, they're going to be better. So in my mind, Duke and Clemson, instead of it being on a Saturday afternoon, maybe at noon or two o'clock or three, it's primetime. It's for a national audience to see. What's your what's your thought process going into this opener against Clemson? Yeah, I, I look at it a little differently. I look at um, moving away from from the Atlantic and coastal divisions, I mean, you're going to have to play Clemson twice in four years. So you might as well get it out of the way in the first, <laughs> in the first game of these four years, right? Like there's, there's no running and hiding behind the coastal division. Uh, there's no running and hiding behind the, all the crossovers that some made sense and some didn't like, you're going to have to play those teams. Uh, so why not get it out of the way early? 
Um, I've known coaches before that say, all right, well, let's, let's play Clemson right off the bat when we know we're as healthy as we're going to be in a season. Like let's, let's not get to November when we're beat to, to hell uh, and, and feeling every part of what nine or 10 games have already done to your body. Let's get there fresh. Let's, let's arrive. Let's uh, kind of, it's, it's an all things are equal part, at least from the, from the depth standpoint. And at least if you have a good camp and don't, you know, run through a bunch of soft tissue injuries in August, then, then I think that's a good opener for you. It, it certainly, it gets my juices flowing a little more than, uh, you know, to, to compare and contrast. I mean, Wake opens on a Thursday night against Elon and, even as an Elon alum, I'm not too, I'm not too thrilled with that. I think it's, uh, it just kind of feels like a soft opener when you, when you play your FCS game in that first game of the year. Yeah. And so in terms of the matchups, is there anything that you're going to be looking out for, especially when we get to that preview section for me, it's really going to be, how is this offense going to look for Clemson? It should be a completely different product than last year, especially given the change in quarterback and given the change in coordinator. What is, what are the people in Duke saying? I want to see how Clemson blocks uh, Dwayne Carter and Jamie on Franklin. Those are, for my money, Dwayne Carter's the best defensive tackle in the ACC. And I realize coming on a Clemson podcast and saying that when Tyler Davis and Ruka Oroho are, are on a roster of the, the other team, that could uh, get some people amped up. But, man, Dwayne Carter uh, – is a pass rusher at defensive tackle and he gets a ton of penetration and Jamie on Franklin is kind of, I, I, I crack up cause it's kind of Dwayne Carter is the, is the Aaron Donald. Uh, Jamie on Franklin just wants to push people into the middle. Like he, he does not have pass rush moves. His pass rush move is go straight. Uh, maybe he adds that like, I, you know, he, he might add that this year, but he's a lot more of a just fire hydrant bulldog of a nose tackle. Um, we, we, we can talk a lot about Cade Klubnik and what Garrett Riley is going to bring to Clemson's offense. Man, I want to know what Clemson's offensive line is going to look like because between, between that and between the receivers that they've had that haven't produced uh, relative to their recruiting status, is, I think that's where this program has kind of taken a dip in the last couple of years and been good enough to win the ACC, not good enough to compete for national championships. Um, that, that, that offensive line, when they were winning championships in 16 and 18, they were nasty and they were big. They were, they were so big. Um, it just feels like they haven't been at that level uh, for a couple of years now. And they were able to to kind of piecemeal it together and make it work in 19 and 20. And you can do that when you have Trevor Loris and Travis Etienne. Uh, it's not been the case for the last three years. And I, I think that's really bitten them uh, where it matters. Yeah. And I, it's, it's certainly been from, you mentioned the early, the run they had from 2015 to the 2020 season where they finished in the semifinals against Ohio state. These last two years, I think unusual is probably the word. There was a lot of up and down. Last year was a roller coaster, especially heading in, I think, from the Syracuse game on, where DJ is benched, Klubnik comes in, doesn't do a ton, and it's really more Shipley, Mafa, and that defense getting that winning against Syracuse. And then you go to Notre Dame and get blasted. 
lose to South Carolina, it's just a continuous up and down. Where where were your thoughts with Clemson last year? Where did you see them potentially improve from the 2021 season? And where do they have room to grow besides the men- the areas that you've already previously mentioned? Well, I definitely – I had the wrong impression because I saw DJ against Wake when he threw seven touchdowns and thought, oh, man, he's got it all figured out. And uh, <laughs> what was it, a month and a half later, and he's getting benched, and I'm like, what the hell happened to the guy I watched in Winston just go up and down the field and make throw after throw after throw? Um, I I get that they needed a new offensive coordinator and and a change of pace on that side of the ball will do them well. I will I will admit I think some of the Garrett Riley hype is kind of blowing out of proportion. Like he got hired and it was like they won the national championship. <laughs> And it's kind of like, hey, he's not going to throw a pass. He's not going to run for a touchdown. He's he's not going to catch any balls. Like, they've still got issues at receiver. Until they have somebody step up at receiver like they had when they had T. Higgins and uh, Mike Williams and those guys, I'm going to remain a doubter. Like I'm just going to remain skeptic until it, it's – they've kind of lost the benefit of the doubt for me. I, I have to see it to believe it. Um I could see it against Duke, uh, but but it, with Clemson, it's kind of they have a different standard. They have to do it for twelve games. They, you know, going eleven and one, and and you still have a fourteen CFP at the end of the year this year. I don't know if eleven and one out of the ACC gets it done. I, I just I, I don't. Uh, it's it's kind of a harsh reality. So, Clemson or Florida State, uh, they're probably going to have to be undefeated and then beat the other one in the ACC championship to go to the CFP, and so. When you're talking about that as a standard, man, you need to you need to be consistently good at, yeah. at every position where you have not been as good as you once were. I uh, feel like I'm reciting a Toby Keith song at this point, but you know it's it's you've got to prove it on the field. You've got to you know go with the football cliche. You you've got to show what you can do. Yeah, I think this is the interesting part of doing this series. And what I love about that perspective that you bring is that is something that the fan base ultimately shares with you. And that's something that, and I'm not going to speak for everybody, but this is just what I've been hearing, is that opinion of, hey, this isn't the same team. Or, hey, this isn't, this position group hasn't been as strong as it used to be. Or maybe X, Y, and Z here, X, Y, and Z that. I think it's really, this is what, and I, I like to, you said, reiterating things. This is what makes this series special is that it's not going to be me talking in front of a microphone about Duke from my perspective. I get to bring on someone and talk not only about Duke, but just about Clemson. So it's kind of that give and take. So, yeah, that standard is interesting that you bring that up. Is it playoff or bust for you? I had a conversation with some of our writers at TI with Larry Williams about how do we define success in this new Garrett Riley Post post Riley era with Dabo Sweeney. How do we? How do you define success for Clemson? I guess this can be our final thoughts before we wrap up. I think when you've won two national championships in the last decade, it's national championship or bust. I think they're still they recruit at that level. Uh, the resources that they put behind the football program are at that level. The fan support is at that level. I mean. I've been to Clemson, I think, three times. Uh, it's probably three out of the five best football venues I've experienced in, you know, 15-plus years as a sports journalist. 
Um, it, it's it's just every every piece of the puzzle is there. So I, I don't think you can say, okay, well, if we go ten and two and beat Florida State in the ACC championship game and go to the Orange Bowl, that's a that's a good run. I, I think you can you can celebrate some successes within that, but ultimately. If you get down to to brass tacks at the end of the year, that's a that's a failed season. Uh, I think CFP or bust. Um, you know, I, I guess CFP or bust, not national championship or bust. I, I just get back to the CFP and see what happens in those one or two games. But yeah. um, but yeah, uh, you, you get the. It's kind of like making a Final Four. It's like once you make the Final Four, yeah, you're trying to win it. Once you get to Omaha, yeah, you're trying to win it. But getting there that that's the destination that's where everybody's season is going to end one way or another you you did well if you make it to that point yeah and we did see in this the semifinals last year that truly anything can happen we had two unbelievable games and a missed field goal and some mistakes from Harbaugh away from Ohio State Michigan in the national championship which would have been would have been something <laughs> but we want I want to thank you Connor for doing this and being your the inaugural part of this series so Maybe for the Wake Forest episode, we might have to bring you back if uh, if that's something that you're interested in. I, I'm putting you on the spot at the end of this, but guys, this yeah, no, another great episode of the Man with the Plan podcast, guys. Thank you so much. Hopefully, this is the series that pushes us to 20,000 listeners. Share this episode when it drops. I think I'm aiming for Wednesday and then Friday with our Florida State Rider coming up very soon. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this part one. Ten. My name's Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Take care and have a great day.